Welcome to the Writer's Block Party Podcast with your hosts Meredith Bond and Prue Warren, where they discuss every aspect of a writer's life, from the craft of writing and editing, through publishing and marketing, and finally into building a global publishing empire. Here is Mary and Prue. Hello, welcome to the Writer's Block Party podcast. We're delighted to have you listening. I am Prue Warren. I represent uh, the less experienced authors in the world, and I'm here with my co-host. I am Meredith Bond, and I, I suppose I'm representing the more experienced people. There you go. <laughs> Today, Mary, we have a returning champion. Yes, we do. We're, we're glad to welcome the return of Kathleen Gillis-Seidel, who we adore. That's that's your that's your intro, Kathy. Go ahead. That's fine. Talk, girl. <laughs> oh, I think we were going to talk about repeated motifs, which is something you've covered in a previous podcast. And what I have done is studied a book by each of you, and we're going to talk about the repeated motifs in there. But I think, Mary, why don't you start by rereading that Neil Gaiman quote about motifs? Right. Just to remind our listeners of what a motif is. Uh, According to Gaiman, it is a literary technique that consists of a repeated element that has symbolic significance to a literary work. Sometimes a motif is a recurring image. Other times, it is a repeated word, phrase, or topic expressed in language. A motif can be a recurring situation or action. It can be a sound or smell, a temperature, or even a color. Okay, so my question to the two of you then is why do we do that? Why do we repeat motifs in books? Because in your podcast, you kept trying to label things. Is this a motif? Is this the theme? And you never talked about why we do it. Oh, that is a brilliant question. Prue, do you want to answer first or should I? Fascia. My answer is fascia, that the human body is made of bones and muscle wrapped in skin. But really, secretly, everything inside is wrapped in fascia, which holds literally everything together. I think a repeated theme or motif is the fascia, the unseen structure that holds everything together. I think it's the themes and motifs that that show continuity throughout the story. And you think, do you think, I mean, this is is sort of a cool angle to take it, that we have an almost biological craving for connective tissue? Nice, nice. You're the (laughs) one who brought up, you brought up- I like biological craving. I like five. Yeah, you brought time. it up as a metaphor, and it may be a little okay. more than but you know, okay. okay. All right, Mary. I think that I agree that it is something that holds holds the complete novel together, but I think that the theme and the motif and the repeated motifs add depth. Yeah. I like the depth that a motif and the theme add to a novel because. Yes, we write romance and yes, you know, it's generally considered to be light beach reading that means nothing. 
But in fact, having a repeated motif, having that deeper theme brings it closer to the level of literature. I found it very interesting. I mean, I like both your explanations that that Prue's was about a surface element, the fascia, and yours was we get how we get closer to the bone. Yeah. That was sort of cool that you both <laughs> that went cool. in on different levels. Well, um, what's your definition, Kathy? What do you not say? definition? Why do I think we do it? I mean, I think it's it, the question you always the answer to why we do something in a book is because of its effect on the reader. Right. And it, it like Mary says, it emphasizes uh, themes, develops them. It can create a sense of reality. If you just see people constantly moving in the same space and encountering the same things, you know, because, but I think even more, because I thought about this, is that we make a promise to our reader about the world and we promise our reader a world that makes sense. You know, in the magical realism of the Latin American authors of the late 20th centuries. Oh, my God. Yeah, uh, well, the late 20th century, Not only did well, love in the time of cholera and stuff like that. Yeah, they added supernatural elements. But even more, they postulated a world that doesn't make sense. That's full of inex- inexplicable um, that's irrational, that's mysterious. And so in those books, you would encounter something, you know, let's say there was a certain kind of very fascinating tree that was kind of creepy and it would only be in that scene. It would never connect with anything because that's a world where those connections, do, where there's no fascia. Well, but uh, right, right, good. So I think it's interesting that what you're saying is uh, that the theme and the motif are the same thing as world building and continuity. Oh, don't let ladies stop worrying about the labels. <laughs> I like labels, I need labels. I'm a beginner. I need okay. labels. Well, certainly at a very fundamental level. The world we build, I mean, to the extent we don't even think about this, I have not thought about this ever until I was preparing for today. We don't even think about that the world we are building makes sense. And actions have consequences. And if you notice things, they have meaning. Right. And we, that is the primary premise of our world building. So prim- so basic, we don't even think about it. But that's one of the things repeated motifs do is they make sense. And they right. promise a world that makes sense. All right. All right. So in, in Prue's book. Us, Ellen and the would-be gigolo. I know you guys give me books, both of whom have heroines named Ellen. <laughs> wow. so we didn't even notice that. I no, I did. Okay. So you have proved three big repeated motifs that I was aware of. And okay. 
One, the characters are on a cruise ship and it's cold. The heroine is always looking for a sweater. But then, and it's every day, every time she moves, she has to, then it disappears as a motif. It simply disappears. She tromps around her bedroom during the sex scene in a little t-shirt or naked. Now, when I was telling Prue about this, Prue said, oh, well, she gets used to the temperature. I didn't say that. Nobody gets used to temperature. I think you also just made that up. Yeah, you just made that. So you just it just seems so important. And then you drop it. I think you're right. I think I did. Uh, Yeah, I I would call that a mistake. A mistake or an opportunity. An opportunity missed. Yes, an opportunity missed. Ineffective. Okay. You know, if you're not going to do anything, mention it once. And then the, the second motif you use a lot is the sunscreen. Right. Now. Because the hero doesn't have sunscreen, so he's heroine. always using. Oh well, he- right, right. That's yeah, right, the heroine right. has some very nice sunscreen. The right. hero hero <laughs> doesn't, so he's always taking her sunscreen. Right. Now I found this very funny because I happen to know that Prue went on a cruise and forgot to take sunscreen, <laughs> and so I and I've written I've this, written this the autobiography. I wrote and the then, book a year before I went and forgot and the sunscreen. Then she told me. That she wrote the book and then went on the cruise ship and forgot to take sunscreen. So that's true. That's true. Art, art you know, we, know, we call that we call that a missed opportunity. <laughs> yeah, that was. Um, and there was some connection made. The fact that the hero is always smelling like the heroine's sunscreen alerts somebody else to their relationship, maybe. Mm-hmm. But for the amount of time, I didn't feel that was real strong. Okay. Now, the third motif was her camera bag. Yes. And that was just awesome. You did a a terrific job. In the opening scene, the heroine is carrying her camera bag. And every time she stands up, she, you know, moves it. She's careful to take it. It's so believable. She's from the film world. Her camera's almost certainly the most expensive thing she owns. And so, of course, she takes her camera bag, you know, even when she goes up the counter to order. Totally believable. And just, and kind of grounds me in the reality of her world. I see her taking that camera bag. Then it quickly, this motif, becomes a symbol of how competent she is. Exactly right. Um, her camera Good. bag is like a Girl Scout leader's um, backpack. She has everything anyone could ever need. Towels, band-aids, sunscreen, everything anyone would ever need. So then it becomes a symbol of her competence. Right. And finally, and this is where the huge payoff is. Actually, the, the novel stopped mentioning the camera bag as much in the last third of the book. And because I was thinking about it, I was kind of like, what's going on? When I was done with the book, I realized you wanted me to stop thinking about the camera bag there for a minute. In the plot resolution, Ellen's competence is hugely important, but the camera bag also has a role. It is the instrument of how the 
a resolution of the kind of suspense plot, which then resolves the romance without the camera bag, that doesn't happen. Yay. Good, good. Kathy, yeah. I'm so glad so, that came through. Yeah. I mean, without Ellen's competence, it doesn't happen. But the way you've written it, her camera bag and her competence are absolutely one-to-one identical. This is how a repeated motif works very, very well. Yay! Oh, I'm going to save this recording forever. Now, okay. I want to, I want to, I have a, I have a share. Uh, there was a woman who was in charge of programs at the Washington Romance Writers uh, uh-huh. in the ago. Her name was Michelle. I don't remember her last name. Maybe Williams. She it was. What was it? It started with a W. Yeah. Yeah. She was a director of photography. And we I was at one of the meetings when we were in person and someone said, oh, my God, does anyone have a charger for a, mm, I don't know, Android phone? And she went, I'm a DP. Of course. I have all the chargers, for every possible thing. I don't go anywhere without them. I also have batteries and band-aids and medicine. And I, I found that a very telling moment. And that's what I was trying for when I wrote about Ellen, the director of photography and the camera bag. So, yay. Yeah, you got it. Yay. All right. Barry's book with Meredith Bond, which is called A Token of Love. First of all, what I'm going to say is completely irrelevant to our subject. In this, this book, and therefore I assume Mary, understands people who are introverts. And that issue sits very lightly on the book. There's no talk about introverts, extroverts. The book is a regency. In most regencies, people are chatterboxes, right? It, it's all, you know, from Georgia Hire. They all talk, 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 talk. That drives the hero and the heroine in this book it wears them out. I just like, uh, it's just so different in a Regency. And as I said, it, it, it sits very lightly on top of the book. You never even have to think about it, but it's part of who these people are. And they, that's not what we usually have in, in Regencies. So, um, so was that a good thing or a bad thing? Oh, a very good thing. Oh, no, okay. Very, oh, yeah. No, I mean, you could have been real heavy handed. I mean, nowadays, when you write a contemporary, there's so much talk about introverts, you know, that I am, a, you know, it would be very. But in the Regency, they didn't even have the concept. No, they didn't. They just, you know, had lively. Right. Animated. Or and, quiet. And quiet. And you go much deeper than that. I think you just, as probably. As a writer, probably, therefore, as a person, you just get what it's like. As an introvert. (laughs) Yes, I was going to say, do the people listening to this, Mary is nodding and laughing. Um, (laughs) Mary's Mary's repeated motifs are a series of contrasts that are not specific objects, the ones that work. She does light and dark. She does hot and cold. She does exterior and interior. She does America and Britain. And they're all connected, but not in a simplistic way. So the situation is the hero is disfigured from the war. And so he avoids the light. 
because he, he scares the horses and children, at least in his mind. <laughs> and so darkness, craving the dark becomes a symbol of his PTSD. Well, you certainly don't use that phrase. Interestingly, the heroine likes Twilight. That Meaning, I did not notice. That's beautiful. Yes. Meaning, because the normal thing to do would have her be all light, you know, Aurora. The fact that she likes the twilight suggests she isn't afraid of the light and she doesn't crave darkness. And she only likes twilight, but it means that she understands both light and dark. She's a bridge. She's a bridge bridge. between the two. She's the bridge between, which I think it makes it more believable that she could rescue him. And why I say these contrasts aren't simplistic is she has the heroine light the candles with a tinderbox. So that's fire. In the very next scene, the hero, heroine is at a hospital and somebody is burning up with fever. So too much heat and can kill you. And, and her because she's nursing, she's not wearing gloves and her hands are in and out of cold water. And the hero notices that her hands are cold and shriveled from the cold. He touches them which seems very intimate, but, and, and the cold hasn't made him pretty. The cold has made him rough and shriveled. So in both of those cases, the extreme, neither, you know, both can be dangerous, uh, the extremes. And so it just adds a lot of richness that it's not light, good, dark, bad. And then, you know, there's a point at which the characters acknowledge that bright lights and noise are horrible if you're sick. And that's a legitimate time. That's right. To that's right. right. Then the exterior interior thing, most of the book is set indoors. I think one of the first times we see Ellen outside, she's at a party and she goes outside um, because She's had too much extrovertiness. Uh, so she goes outside and the hero is there or shows up. And, oh, my God, the writing style totally changes. It Oh, yeah, look at it, Mary. Um, <laughs> it becomes much richer and much lusher. Wow. Uh, the heroine is much more responsive to smells and touch. And the hero comes, and so she's and she's cold, of course. So he puts his jacket on her, and I mean, for days she's remembering the feel of that jacket in a very um, non-ladylike kind of way. Um, <laughs> he thinks of her as warm-hearted, which she is, you know. And the thing is, and then you have a set of characters who are really comfortable outdoors and that is oh gosh i've forgotten her name the aunt amelia uh yeah yeah uh there's there's a um 
her her late late husband's aunt Amelia has lived in the United States, and she is clearly outdoors all the time, and she's a risk taker, and she's, and then the difference becomes outdoors, indoors, America, Britain, risk taking, exuberance, life, versus Britain, and one of the things our books are about is love as a life force. And in in this book, light, it's kind of the realization light is a life force, heat is a life force, but it can also kill you. Wow, that's powerful. Uh, Well, and the hero is honestly concerned that falling in love with the heroine will on some level kill him. You know, too much pain. And then the ending of the book is so cool. Not the ending, but it's the initiation of what I call point of ritual death and everyone else calls the black moment. I like point like, of ritual death. That's a yeah, great it's phrase. much better. And, uh, you know, because it's, it's imagining the alternative to the happy ending. What happens in this scene is they're going to a panorama and they're, it's, they're walking in a hall that's dark, 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 dark. And then they open up into the scenes of the war somewhere in Spain. I I pay no attention to history. I just go, (laughs) the war. I don't care which one. (laughs) And so there's a lot of lights and a lot of noise. The The hero is starting to get some flashback triggers. And then a child sees his face and screams. Then he has a complete flashback. And what's interesting about that in terms of uh, what we're talking about is that dark, 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 and you come into sunlight and outdoors, which should be good, but it's fake sunlight and fake outdoors because these are paintings and lanterns. And so his flashback happens not outside in the sun, but in the fake outside and the fake indoors, which is very, very cool, I think. Nice. Nice distinction. Okay. Now, Mary is smiling and blinking up like she's pleased and proud. And now I'm going <laughs> to dump on her. And I, <laughs> Friends, I have told her I'm going to say this. What doesn't work is what she thought worked. Now, what doesn't work, the heroine in an early scene, it. Amelia, who's come home from America and is in a house that she grew up in, wants to look, doesn't like the twilight, wants to light the candles, goes to the mantle to find the tinderbox, which would have been there. It was there when that's where it was when she was a kid. It's not there. That's a very excellent introduction because it's such a familiar moment. You know, you go to your mom's house and your mom had the nerve to A, die, B, move things. And it's very disconcerting. So that's kind of nice about Amelia, that things have changed. Well, it turns out that this Ellen, Ellen with an E, carries in her reticule a tinderbox. First of all, I have no idea how big a tinderbox is. It could be, uh, yeah, but I didn't know. Mary's holding up her fingers. Like two inches. Well, okay, but I didn't know that. Okay. 
So I couldn't visualize it. So that was one problem. You know, okay. it could be, you know, big shoe shine kit bang. That that's one problem. And maybe she people, carries an enormous reticule. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. Yeah. She carries a camera bag. Um, <laughs> and she says to Amelia in the conversation, it's so useful to have, but then it never is. I am expecting this. I, I really was like, oh, okay, they're going to be a situation. She and the hero are trapped. It's dark. It's cold. They're trapped. And she can bring light and warmth. Not, not symbolically, but practically. And that doesn't happen. Well, they are in the carriage when, where at one point where uh, it's dark, and so she she hands the hero her tinderbox to light the candles. Yeah, but lantern. But that's not necessary. You know, that's not part of the resolution. It's not not a big moment, right? And it's supposedly there's a phrase, Kathy. Hang on, there's a phrase for this that I can't remember. People say that if you introduce a gun, a gun on the wall. Chekhov's gun. I'm sorry. Chekhov's gun. Chekhov's gun. That's it. Chekhov's gun. Thank you. If you have a gun on the wall or you load a gun in Act 1, it's got to go off in Act 3. Chekhov's gun. Yours didn't go off. Okay. Yeah. Your gun didn't go off. And because I really was expecting it to provide the resolution. Because you introduced it at the end of a chapter. I mean, wow. Bam. Big, big, big. You know, it was in neon. And you told me afterwards that you had added it late. Mm-hmm. And that makes sense. I think you also told me that you were very consciously doing light and dark, but you weren't thinking about, you weren't consciously thinking about heat, warm, exterior, interior, you know, America, right. Britain. But that all happened very organically. You can feel that the tinderbox was like, it fits with all the themes, but it wasn't organic. And what it comes down to also, Mary, your characters, and there's nothing wrong with this, your characters do not live in a world of objects. They live, your books don't have. I mean, Prue's opening scene, there's napkins, there's cups, there's all kinds of stuff. There's not a lot of stuff in your books. I mean, you're good at evoking what I need to see. The pillars in the hospital, somehow just evoking. I could see it all from you mentioning the pillars. It's very efficient, but there's just not all the stuff. And so it's uh, so stuff doesn't mean much. Your characters live in a world of emotion and also sound, language. There's a talk among, this is a continuing series. So there's all these characters whom I have no idea who they were. And I understand you're writing to uh, uh, readers of the series. But when the women are chit-chatting, they're talking about learning languages. And Ellen saying she's never traveled. And to me, and at the end of the book, they decide to go to America. But I think a more interesting moment would be not giving him the snuff box as a token of love, which she got from her parents. And I happen to hate her parents. <laughs> I do. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and it's for her to say, I love you in French. Uh, oh, I mean, that would have been sweet. 
Not yeah. that they're going to France and not that you need to learn French to go to America, but it, maybe they're going to French, you know. So, but you see how that just wasn't organic to who you are as a writer. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And so I, when you guys were talking about motifs, Mary emphasized craft a lot, and I think that's true. But I think these repeated motifs first have to come organically. I mean, when when uh, our program director, that photographer Michelle. you talked to, Michelle, right, right. you were like, wow, I want to write about that person. Right. And or that it just evolves like light and dark do in the book. It's and then and then you craft it. I mean, there was a, you, you, there's a lot of craft between going. Oh, thank you for the charger, Michelle. And this book, there's a lot of manipulation and figuring out and did it with the light and dark. So it takes a lot of craft, but craft alone isn't enough. And it can make sense on paper. But you got to feel it. So, okay. Well, uh, well. Pardon me for for being. Yeah, I'm done. I don't know. Yeah, dumb. A bear of little brain. Um, yeah. What's what's the? How do you how do you label the element that's not craft? It takes more than craft. It also takes fill in the blank. Uh, imagination, talent. Talent is a word we don't use in the romance market because we're never. We're quite willing to admit that some writers are more talented than others. Oh, wow. <laughs> it's wow. true. But we, you know, we never talk about it. But doesn't uh, it, can't you also put, substitute in the word heart? Yes. Yes. Heart, imagination. Feeling. Um, feeling. You know, a personal a personal investment somewhere from within you, whatever. Yeah. I mean, heart's a metaphor. Can we go back briefly to talent? Because I think that's a very interesting topic. Can, can, is that something that can be discussed? Can it be taught? Can, can people be made more aware of it? Or is it, you either have brown eyes or blue eyes. I mean, you have talent or you don't. And I'm sorry, that implies that only brown eyes are good. I myself and blue eyed. I don't know. I mean, I think part of why we we don't talk about it is you don't want to say to someone or about someone they have no talent because that just shuts the door. I mean, you can get better. I mean, I think the first thing is to give people confidence. But I agreed. I don't did someone. I mean, I've had a narrative imagination from the word go. But I would, but here's my thought for you. I think there are people, and this is rude, and I would never point any finger specifically, but there are people who have a narrative imagination who do not have the talent to write a story. I don't Absolutely. think simply yeah. having a narrative imagination is enough. No, no, no. And and I've turned off the timer, just so you know. We, oh, we're, okay. we're closing okay. in on our time, but I don't want to stop talking about so now we're just now we're just bevancing. You know, I don't really know, guys. You know, when they all talk in, about developing the imagination in school children, part of me is like, I don't know. But then People I who, think, right? But then I think I have certainly in doing learning flower arranging, 
I see so much more than I used to see. I see line. I see shapes that I didn't, you know, that I didn't used to see. My eye has become educated. So does that mean, does that imply that talent is to some extent within your own control? That if you have determination and an open mind, you can enhance your natural talents. But if you, if you just think you're talented and just sit on your ass and don't do anything about it, good luck to you. I, I, I want an encouraging message that says, maybe you don't think you're talented, but that's, you're, just not, you're just not looking at it the right way. Mary, say something. <laughs> um, okay. I, I believe that writing craft can mm-hmm. be taught. Mm-hmm. People can learn to structure sentences. People yeah. can learn to create a coherent plot. And write they deep POV. Learn. Thank you, Mary. You taught me. Yes. Yeah. Sure. You can yeah. learn the deep POV. You can learn to not head hop. You can learn to, to write um, description. Mm-hmm. But then putting all of those pieces together into something that is a pleasure to read in which the reader can lose themselves. Mm-hmm. That's the leap from craft to art. People, people are born with perfect pitch. If you don't have it, you don't have it. However, people can be trained to get really close to perfect pitch. I right. think there's a and very this is exactly that line. same thing. Yeah, right. Is there is it craft or is it talent? I think it's a very thin line, and nobody ought to assume that they're not talented enough or that Correct. talent is enough right. for them. They don't need craft. Yeah, you know, and there's all different kinds. I mean, there are certainly romance writers who have much better access to their imaginations than I do. I mean, the stories just come to them whole. Access to the imagination, Kathy, that's gorgeous. That's gorgeous. Yeah. Can you quiet your inner critic enough for the story to come to you? Yeah. I love that. And, and yeah, and, and right. Uh, so it comes in a lot of different forms. Certainly. And, you know, I mean, come on, we all get better. I mean, uh, we all get better. Oh, we yeah. get better. There's a no reason we, why you we, didn't read my first story. And <laughs> then we get worse. <laughs> you, know, you do peak. But and also, in some ways, the, the question is, I, I guess, I guess the question is, believing in your talent, do you believe there are people who there are people who have been doing this for 20 years without ever finishing a book or ever having met with any success whatsoever. And you read their stuff and you go, oh, yeah, this <laughs> isn't very strong. And then there's other, other people who are just fabulous and they don't believe in themselves enough and i think in the first case of the first person an onlooker does not have a role i mean i don't think it's my place to tell anybody stop you you know no because Uh, hopefully that they receive a great amount of joy in their writing and so it doesn't really matter whether it's good or not yeah, and then maybe it's it's publishing 
isn't reaching a reader is not their goal. And and anyway, I could be wrong. They could suddenly nail it. Um, you know, but the other thing about that is I don't believe the talent rises like cream. I think there are lots of very talented people who never see success. And mm -hmm. that's for reasons that go far beyond talent. Sure. It's much more involved in marketing and the business of romance oh, and yeah. how yeah. mercenary you're willing to be. So yes. I think the question of talent is a very interesting one. We're well, we are well past our time now. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and see, now we're just having a good time. Now <laughs> we're just talking. Talented and luck are connected, but not as nicely as they would be in a romance novel. That's right. Every <laughs> world is tidier in a romance novel. Things we make can... sense. <laughs> and we don't have, you know, people who are starving in garrets having written, the, you know, the best thing ever. They that's get right. it published, you know. Yeah. So, um, so that's right. let's bring it back to motif oh, and okay. theme. Okay. Oh, right. Just to just to finish up, let's just yeah, let's you'll bring it on back. Yeah. Okay. So if you are writing a novel, and it doesn't need to be romance, it can be any genre, right? do you go into the novel with a theme or with a motif in mind and deliberately put it in, or do you just let it come out naturally? Uh, yes, that being an either or. <laughs> Well, uh, what I would kind of quarrel with is, do you go in with it in mind? You go in with it in your heart. Uh-huh. And also define where's the go. I mean, Prue encountered Michelle's camera bag and on a very logical level. Put that That in. intrigues me. By the time she gets to the book, it's gone down from her brain into her heart, or perhaps further south. <laughs> I know, so it just it needs to be like you need to wherever it is, your brain, your you know, heart, your liver, you need to care about it. I didn't care about the dinner box. I cared about the camera bag. Uh -huh. I cared about the light and the darkness. In, in Mary's book, I started to care about how cold the ship was, and but then that, I blew it. And then you blew it, right? right. Um, it had served my purpose, and then it was not needed anymore. <laughs> yeah. Instead, they you fixed know, the thermostat, Kathy. I didn't right. tell you the detail. They fixed the thermostat. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Well, tell me that. It's boring. Um, yeah. Look, come on, guys. Uh, we can take any one of my books and find problems with it. You know, any book you can find problems with it. So, <laughs> but, but, so for, but for our listeners, yeah, when when they sit down to write, it's just a matter of where that that motif could lie in their brains, in their hearts, in their fingers as they're typing. Mm -hmm. And we're seeing, yeah, what what provides energy to you as a writer? Energy. And to your reader. You yeah. know. I um, love that word. I think energy is yeah. very important. Yeah, yes. oh, it is. And yeah. you know, somehow I kind of feel if I really, really care about something, I can make the reader care about it. Right. And I have also discovered 
that I can also wire into other people's energy. I I had a hero who uh, was a perfectionist, total obsessive, you know, perfectionist, like my dad. And I wanted to know how he arranged his tools. So I asked my dad. And my dad kept coming back three times with increasingly more elaborate systems for arranging tools. And I put that in the book. And that energy, I mean, I had a couple of, in those days, we got fan mail, a couple of readers go, oh, my God, that's just like, you know, my husband, my son. Really, it popped off the page. I think there's something magical of you feeling deeply engaged or even when you can kind of wire into somebody else and just get it to the reader. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm thinking about the things I'm working on now and I can see missed opportunities. So thank yeah, you. Go back. Go back. Thank this you. Is going to go back. Going craft is going back. Yes. yes. The editing yeah. process. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. I have to make a note. Yeah. I have to make a note. Uh, well, ladies, I really enjoyed this. Well, thank you. Too. We did too. Yeah, absolutely. Happy to come back anytime. <laughs> thank okay. You. See you yeah. next week. Kathy, thank you so much. You're thank awesome. Thank you so much, Kathy. Yeah. I really, really appreciate your detailed analysis. Yes. Of oh, both of fun. our books. It was very fun. It was very fun. <laughs> very fun for us. And you were very yeah. gracious about Missed opportunity. what I had to say about them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you yeah. Both. <laughs> Okay. Open minds. If I I don't have an open mind, I'll never get anywhere. Okay. All right. Bye. Bye. Bye, Bye, Mary. I'll talk to you next week. Thanks, Prue. Bye-bye, guys. That's it for the Writer's Block Party this week. We don't want you getting so drunk on knowledge that you can't drive your laptop safely. But next week we'll be here before you know it, so check out the website at thewritersblockpartypodcast.com One word. That's where you can find our archive of past podcasts and a place where you can get in touch with Mary and Prue or ask questions for the next podcast. Write with joy, friends, and see you next week. (laughs) 